Welcome to the Social Propertypreneur Podcast. And here is your host, social media queen, property investor, and entrepreneur, Laura Muse. Welcome to the next episode of the Social Propertypreneur with me, Laura Muse. Um, today, I've got a fabulous guest who is going to be sharing experiences of how to build a business and how his business can help you in property. So the guy that I'm interviewing today at 25 years old, which is amazing, has turned over £250,000 in his first year of business. And he also has raised in excess of £35 million for investors and developers through bridging. He's also got his own PPN event and he's also got his own podcast, which you must listen to, which is the Property Finance Podcast. And our wonderful guest is Mr. Michael Primrose. Yay! <laughs> Hi, Michael. Hi, Thank you very much for having me. So, Michael, obviously, um, you've had an amazing year in business and are you would you be happy to share your journey? Because it's not always been straightforward. It's been a bumpy road from where you were and where you how you've got to where you are now, if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so I suppose it started about three years ago. I got into finance for the first time. So I'd been an ex-conveyancer and was made redundant. Went into finance working for somebody else, uh, which was fine, did very well. Got myself to director level pretty quickly, uh, literally within sort of six, nine months. Built a really good business there. Um, we Yeah, turning over sort of good amounts of money. Uh, was there for, it's been about a year and a half, uh, coming on close to two years. Um, decided to leave there and go on my own, uh, which at the time I was, I want to say, 23. So I was, yeah, 23 and a half. Uh, we had a daughter at the time who was coming up to two years old, no, one year old. And then we had, yeah, as I handed my notice in, we found out that we were expecting uh, our second daughter. I've probably got these timelines completely messed up, but (laughs) you you get the idea. Um, So anyway, I'd left employment at the point where we had the daughter and another daughter on the way and basically decided to go out on my own. I'd met a couple of guys who... I was informed were good people to get into business with at the time, which is fine. It all, we, we met up, it all went all right. I made the plunge to have my notice in and say, yeah, you know what? Actually going to give this a go. Uh, going to go out on my own. Yeah, it was all right for probably the first six months. So it was the point around the time that our second daughter arrived, which was uh, August last year. So August, 2018. Uh, we'd been in business with the, the new brokerage we'd set up. Uh, had been in business for probably six months at that point, uh, six, seven months. And at that point, literally everything just went wrong. Um, so Felicity, my second daughter, was born. At that point, just weird things started happening in the business. Couldn't get access to bank accounts. Just started hearing rumors about stuff that was going on. There was some some naughtiness in the background. And I call them rumors because... To this day, I don't know whether they're true or not. Yeah. So yeah, it was at that point where I was like, you know what, something's not quite right here. So at that point, the business pretty much fell apart. That was in the August. Uh, so August, September, October, myself and my wife literally had zero income. We had a newborn baby. Must um, that must have been really scary having family commitments. It was. And- yeah, it was. It was bad. Yeah, went to a. I think it's safe to say went to a very dark place. Yeah. Because literally we'd borrowed money from family, friends, everywhere. 
to try and survive. So we had a, a two-year-old daughter at that point and then a newborn baby. And yeah, it was just to, to the point where we were like, we'd missed rent for three months. Uh, we lost our cars. Oh gosh. Yeah, just literally lost everything at that so point. So really lost everything. Uh, literally to the point, I think we, we owed Alice, who's my wife, uh, her mum about 10 grand. Uh, we owed my best mate about seven or eight grand, I think, at this point. And that was just to keep ourselves afloat for those three months. But it just wasn't enough to keep up with all of the payments that we had to make. So come November, I think it was. So it was the start of November. We literally just sat there. So this is November 2018. Sat down and went, there's absolutely no way that we can carry this on. Yeah. So that was when we made the decision to start up the Property Finance Co., which was obviously the brokerage that's going now. I started making sort of connections with new people. Yeah, we're very lucky actually with the start of the brokerage with some of the people that we got involved. Got some cases over the line very quickly, cleared a lot of sort of the, yeah. the bad debt that we had at that point. Yeah, and haven't really looked back since. Um, had some legal issues to get over uh, at the back end of 2018, beginning of 2019, mm-hmm. which had come out of the back of when the business had fallen apart. So we had to get rid of that. And I had a lot of people coming to me for advice and sort of chasing me up about stuff that happened with that brokerage nothing to do with me it was it was like I said rumors had circulated uh, and it was it was people chasing things as per these rumors I'm being very careful not to say because it's yeah no, like I said, it is purely a rumor and like said, I've got no idea if it's true or not so the, yeah it was a lot of stress at the beginning of the start of the business because obviously we had a lot of debt to clear and obviously had to sort of try and clear any past connections as well so yeah, it was really I suppose January February where everything just skyrocketed we took on the PPN in March. Uh, I took on mentorship with Rob and Mark in March. Oh, wow. Did that make a big difference yeah. to your business, being surrounded by them types of people? Yeah, I'd say the biggest difference it actually made was having a support network to help with some of the crap that had happened previously. Yeah. So it's good to have that, to be able to talk to people and say, well, actually, I've got these problems. Can you sort of help? So it's powerful being in that sort of mastermind. Yeah. It was good in that sense. Um, and then in March, we also took on our first member of staff, moved into new offices. So it was really March was the catalyst to, to where we sit now, really. all of the Pretty much all of the business that we've done, yeah, has, has sort of come since February or March. Um, so since March, yeah, this year, you've turned really. over £250,000. I'd say two twenty of that since March, yeah. <laughs> that is uh, very impressive. Yeah, so that's, it's, it's been... Yeah, it's been it was a it was a mental sort of six seven months where yeah literally just everyone was coming to us the podcast was going live we got more embedded within progressive so we started doing vip uh, talking on vip yeah. um emceeing some events the ppn sort of took off it's difficult with networking events it's not always yeah, yeah. uh it's it's easy it's easy going to networking events it's not easy running a networking event so that sort of took off a little bit as well although it's sort of petered out a bit now but yeah, it's, it's since March really has is, is just gone absolutely mental. You know, when you were at your lowest point and obviously you'd set up your own business, it didn't particularly work out. A lot of people would have retreated yeah. back into employment. What was the, yeah. was that just not an option for you? Or what was your thought process around that? Well, actually, uh, it got so desperate that I'd actually gone for a job as an Amazon driver for oh, okay. the Christmas period to try and bring in some money. Yeah. And it was actually the morning of the induction where we'd be given all the uniforms and, and stuff like that, that I actually had a phone call about a development deal that someone wanted me to fund. And it was one where actually I could get away with 
charging an upfront fee because of the relationship. And actually it was quite a quick deal to get over the line. So it was that point of actually, I was like, well, do I go and do the Amazon job, run the risk of having absolutely no time to do anything? Because the problem with that is if I'd gone into that job, it would have been really long days. I'd have got into this cycle of not actually being able to focus on anything else. So I made the decision and it, it was at the beginning of November. And that's when we sat down and said, actually, we, we need to set up this new business. We need to go at it and yeah, just, just try and get through really. And yeah, it happened to be that fate was there to intervene and actually, <laughs> yeah, crack on. Uh, it'll all be all right. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, my so obviously, you know, my husband, James, he, um, years ago when he set up his first business, he'd like plugged it for months and months and months, invested a lot of money and nothing was given. And it was literally, he booked his flights to go to Australia to actually move over there. And the day before oh, wow. he went, he got a call about a job he quoted for six months ago and that's the that was him staying and building this business so it's it's wow. amazing how that one phone call or all that one email just completely changes your life oh yeah without a shadow of a doubt and that that yeah that phone call definitely did mm. um without a shadow of a doubt yeah i dread to think where we'd be now had i had i gone and gone into full-time yeah. employment because yeah there's no way we'd we'd have achieved what we've achieved this year sure. with us in full-time employment so on a different note, well, on an advanced note, obviously, can you, obviously we're in property, you're the property finance guy, um, we're property investors, there's a lot of people ask um, us questions about how we finance our projects, obviously we work with you on projects that we're currently doing, um, or have maybe done, can you explain to people how you can help um, new property investors, property developers, um, what, what advice and what services you can offer to them? Yeah, so predominantly our business is focused around bridging and development finance. Um, we do a bit in the commercial mortgage section, so a bit on HMOs, bit on service accommodation. But I suppose first and foremost, what we try and do and what we've niched ourselves on is more on the side of sort of assisting first-time developers, first-time investors, in order to be more creative with their deals, get the right team around them, just generally be able to raise finance that they personally thought was either unfeasible or unachievable yeah. so a lot of the people that we've helped with I think over the last three years I've had guys who have come to me with like their first flip for example and there's a guy we've got the minute who I help finance his first HMO and now he's on to 40 50 unit developments and it's like it, it's great <laughs> seeing that journey but it's also great actually having the relationship with the client so that they come to you with these deals all the way through so yeah I suppose what, what we offer is just that helping hand and a service that people know, like, and trust uh, in order to just hold their hand, get them through the projects, help sort of source the team. Yeah, that, that's the main thing we help with, really. So obviously a lot of people are put off bridging from bad bridging stories and yeah. they run over schedule, obviously they get extra penalties. What would you say to people who have looked at it and kind of dismissed it? What would you like to demystify? Because there's a lot of things around bridging that I think are explained correctly. Yeah. Can you put some clarity on that yeah so bridging's got a, a pretty horrendous reputation in the market for being expensive expensive penalty fees if you run over uh, repossessions that sort of thing what i would say in terms of bridging in the three odd years and however many bridging deals we've done we've never had anyone have a property repossessed ever and i, I don't intend to ever get into that situation either the repossession rates on on bridging are, are actually pretty slim I don't know of many people at all that have, that have had properties repossessed through bridging. 
because actually with it being asset-based finance and, and the lenders that are involved in that sort of lending space, the process they have to go through to repossess is quite difficult and it's quite lengthy. They're better off just charging more interest and then helping the client to, to get out of these loans. So what we tend to find is actually a lot of the, I suppose one of the big things is people say about these expensive exit fees, but actually at the minute, a lot of lenders are getting rid of exit fees right. uh, when it comes to bridging. So there's actually less lenders now that, that charge an exit fee than those that do. And similarly with default rates as well, I think they get quite a bad reputation within the market as well. Oh, if you run over, you're going to be on three, four, five percent a month. Well, actually, that's not really the case. Most lenders will go up to maybe two percent a month. But actually, if you're communicating with them, then actually what you tend to find is that they're all right. They they tend to just let you on for maybe a month or two afterwards because it's easier to just let that happen, let you get out of the project rather than try and stick you on some extortionate interest rate, read all the loan documents, that sort of thing. So in that sense, I think a lot of people you see who moan about bridging are people who have maybe taken bridging finance, have then sat and not done anything about it yeah. if they've run over, haven't communicated with the lender and then have had a repossession notice and gone, oh, well, this is out of order. How can they How can they do this? Whereas actually people who are openly communicating with the lenders, with the brokers, keeping everyone up to date, they never really have a problem. But I think that also comes down to having a good broker. So we say yeah, yeah. you communicate with us a lot explain the process would you mind sharing the, the actual bridging process to maybe somebody who's not done that before yeah so i suppose if you take the entire process from the beginning um so you'd submit your inquiry to begin with what would then happen is the broker then takes them out to market preferably use a broker who's whole of market so that you're getting all of the options um what you tend to find with a lot of bridging brokers as well is that they're unregulated because bridging is an unregulated product unless you're bridging against your own Oh, right, um, okay. uh, in which case that becomes related they tend not to they tend not to give advice um so us for example we're unregulated we're not regulated to give advice on bridging we can present the options and then enable you to to choose which Very one you choice. want so exactly that so we take it out and we get all of the lenders to come back obviously negotiate all of the interest rates uh try and negotiate arrangement fees exit fees whatever it may be uh, depending on the relationship that we've got with the lenders and then once that's done, obviously put the options in front of you, you would then look at them and say, okay, well, you, you might ask some questions. You might, well, Michael, I can see this interest rate's really good. Uh, what's this lender? You yeah. just go through it in a bit more detail. Um, what's this lender deducting from the day one advance, that sort of thing. And at that point, you'd then come back and say, okay, well, I want to go with this lender. Let's sort of push the process forward. Um, then you go through application, valuation, legals, and then into inevitably drawdown. But one thing that a lot of people tend to forget about bridging, and this is just going off on a slight tangent, yeah. is that actually when you take a bridging loan, so let's say I'm buying a house for £100,000, bridging could potentially end up 75% of that, um, but that's actually the gross facility. So what then happens is they take all the interest and fees off you um, up front. So actually you don't get 75%, you get probably closer to 65%. Yeah. Um, and I think people forget that sometimes, and that's what we try and explain when we're going out to market and getting the yeah. terms and whatnot, and when we present those terms to you, we, we give an idea of, well, actually, this is what your deposit is going to have to be. Um, and I always try and manage people's expectations up front that, that actually you are going to lose some money off of that percentage loan to value. Yeah, that's it, really. And obviously, with mortgage, actually getting a mortgage on a, a buy-to-let mortgage, etc. obviously, there's certain criteria. Can anyone get a bridge or is there certain types of properties that are kind of more lendable against or can you explain that to people yeah so with that i mean bridging is predominantly uh, and development finance is predominantly asset-based finance um so they tend to look at the deal before the borrower yeah 
So I would say pretty much everyone can get a bridge. In fact, actually, I'd say anyone can get a bridge. But the caveat to that is if you've got bad credit, if the deal isn't particularly great, actually what you'll find is that you'll be on a higher interest rate than somebody who's maybe got clean credit, a deal that stacks really nicely. Yeah, Yeah, anyone can get a bridge, but it's whether you're willing to pay the interest rate that you might be on if you're a particularly questionable borrower. And what about the length length term? Obviously, people have their own theories on the length term. Do you have obviously advice to lend for longer than you imagine? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so I I always <laughs> sort of take a minimum of about a three month contingency period. Okay. Um, the reason for that is because if you've got an extra three months, it just avoids any chance of you running into the default period or anything like that. Because if you've if you've got that three month overrun, at least you know that no matter what. Yeah, you, you've got three months to get out of it if you need to. Um, now, obviously, the caveat against that is obviously you're losing the interest up front. So, <laughs> yeah, you've got uh, obviously all the interest and fees coming off up front. So, obviously, the risk is, is that if you take it for an extra three months, it might deduct too much interest uh, for you to then to be able to stack that deal. So, if that was the case, we'd, we'd have to think about how we structure it in order to, to make it work. And is there any circumstances where you wouldn't advise people to do a bridge? Uh, the only time I'd advise not to do a bridge is if you... So, uh, there you go. I had an example yesterday, actually. So, I've got a guy who's bought a property in cash. He's yeah. done the refurb in cash. He's now sold the property. So, he's going through conveyancing at the minute. So, he came to me and said, well, actually, I want to release the funds out of this deal. Um, and I said, well, how long is the conveyancing going to be? He said, well, worst case, three months. Okay, well what's the reasoning behind wanting to take that bridge? Oh, well, I just want to release the funds and, and just know that I've got the cash available. In that scenario, I wouldn't recommend taking yeah. a bridge because if you're just leaving it in a bank account, you're char- potentially paying 1% a month interest on it. Yeah. You've paid your 2% arrangement fee, you've paid your valuation, you've paid your legal fees. There's all these fees that you've paid for money that you might not necessarily need any earlier than you would have got them anyway. To come through. So yeah, in that scenario, what I've said to him is, and we, we've got him some terms that he's, that he's looking over, but what I've said to him is do not press go on that bridging loan until you need the money rather than want the money. Yeah. Because again, the problem with a deal like that is that his profit margin was, was quite tight. So he's bought it in cash. He's paid cash for the refurb. The profit that he's going to get from the sale isn't humongous at all. The problem with the bridge, even though it's just for three months, would wipe a lot of that profit out. It just happens to be one of those projects that's just a bit tight. So for him it very much needed to be look wait for this money to come in then decide what you're going to do with it and he'll leverage funds in the in the future um but i I don't think taking a bridge there is is the best option so yeah we'll we'll always look over a deal and we'll always say to someone you don't need bridging you don't need development you need to go and do this or you need to go and do that we have got more than enough business coming in that i can turn down business uh that we don't need to because the thing for us is, and, and it's the same with you as well, is, is reputation, especially on social media, is such a big thing now that if I put someone onto a product that they don't need to be on, the first thing they're going to do is put a nasty review online or report me to the FCA or whatever it may be. So I would rather turn it down and say, you do not need this product. Yeah. And then if they want to put a nasty review online about that, then fine. It takes but a long I know time I've to build a relationship and seconds exactly. to destroy it. <laughs> I, exactly. And um, yeah, when I told this guy that he didn't need the bridge, he was he was like, I can't believe you've actually like <laughs> honestly said to me that not to take it. He's like, this is bizarre. I've spoken to other brokers and they're trying to like force me into it really, really quickly. And 
you've actually told me to wait. And it is simple though. You, you, this sort of finance, you need to need it, not want it. Yeah. Because if you want it, it's it's That's too expensive, and it's yeah. You you there has to be a, a real need for it at that point. Yeah. And the same with vanilla buy to lets and things like that is if someone's trying to bridge it for whatever reason, we, we sometimes have to look at it and go, well, actually, you, you don't need to bridge this. You need to look at the costs, and and yeah. you just need to go straight into a mortgage and. Yeah, okay, the mortgage might go against the purchase price rather than market value, and you might have to put a little bit more money in to begin with, but actually the bridge is going to wipe out a chunk of the profit. Um, And yeah, we do that with clients. We just it's all about the hand-holding and and going through it with them and saying, look, you don't need this product, um, or yes, you do need this product, or or whatever it may be. And yeah, we we just try to to do that with everybody. Would you mind um obviously we touched on development finance a little bit earlier. Um do you mind just explain a little bit more about development finance, how it's how it works, how it's structured, um, and how you draw down from that? Yeah, so development finance, what's supposed to the first thing to say is bridging finance is only against the purchase. Yeah. Uh, development finance is against purchase and build, um, or refurb or conversion, whatever it may be. So development finance is where you're trying to borrow the costs of both the purchase and the build costs. So with development finance, normally on a refurb, for example you might borrow 70% of the purchase, 100% of the build costs. And sometimes that works out better than bridging against the purchase and then using your own cash for the for the refurb. But the biggest bit about development finance and what a lot of people don't realise is that actually that pot of money towards the development costs is released in arrears. So what that means is you've actually got to do the work and then claim the money back for it. Yeah. So if I've got a refurb that's 100 grand, for example, I've got to go and spend... 10 15 20 grand and then claim 20 grand back yeah. from the lender now i don't actually need to physically put my hand in my pocket and pay that money over it could be that i've been invoiced by a contractor for example so the contractor might put the foundations in on a new build and then said right mike here you go here's an invoice for 20 grand i need you to pay this by next friday and then i'd go to the lender and say look this work has taken place here's the invoice pay the invoice yeah. and that can get you around the cash flow issues that you might have if you otherwise had to sort of pay it for yourself. And just on that point, could you do that every month or is it kind of restricted to certain, like you'll only do it so many times within that project or is it kind of... Yeah, it depends on the lender. I mean, what I would say is that every time you take a drawdown, there's normally a six, seven hundred pound fee associated with that. So the risk you run is that if I draw down five times on on a development at 600 pounds, that's cost me three grand. Now, if I did it 10 times, all of a sudden I'm at six grand and it's like, whoa, it's just starting to rack up fairly quickly, um, especially if there's not a huge profit margin in the deal either. Um, but lender by lender, they'll, some will let you draw down whenever you want um, and then just obviously apply that cost to it. Some have fixed drawdowns. Uh, so some might say you can only have two drawdowns, you can only have three drawdowns, you can only have four drawdowns, whatever it may be. Yeah. And yeah, it just depends on on the lender really. Well, it's been lovely speaking to you. Before we obviously finish, what are your plans for next year? Cool. Uh, <laughs> you've had made massive waves this year. I'd love to be knowing what you're doing next year. <laughs> yeah, so next year we'll see the introduction of our app. Um, uh-huh. So we're bringing an app out. It will see probably a bit of expansion around the podcast. We're also going to be moving into new offices next year as well. Uh, so we'll be expanding the office, bringing in our own podcast studio and that sort of thing. No oh, wow. Um, yeah just generally trying to beat what we've done this year really um yeah in all honesty i haven't had time to sit down and think this is the plan for next year flying by the seat of my pants a little bit (laughs) um yeah just a case of just 
keep doing what we're doing um, and just try and get better all the time. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out to speak to me. And I hope our listeners have got some amazing value, which I'm sure they have. We're going to put some links uh, below so that obviously people can contact you directly. Yeah. Um, and put a link down to PPM Bank and also your podcast so people can listen a bit more on how to finance deals. And yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. So thank you for listening to The Social Property Preneur and we will see you all next time on our next episode.